We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated. Over on Fan Nation, I'm fired up. We are continuing our spring preview series for Oregon Ducks football. We are just two days away from the start of you know the real start of the Dan Lane era, it feels like, here in Eugene. Today we're hitting on the linebackers and the edge players, so we got a bunch of really talented guys that we want to uh, break down their game and kind of talk about some storylines around them. I am joined on this episode of the podcast by my good friend, Stephen Blanchett. Stephen, how you doing, man? Good to uh, have doing- you back. Yeah, man, doing great. Thanks for having me. Been a little bit of a minute, but like you said, man, football is in the air. It is almost time for spring practice. The landing era is officially going to get underway, and I couldn't be more excited. It's it's going to be a really fun season, uh, even though we're kind of far away, but at least spring football is going to is gonna be great. Uh, big football day in general. Just uh, let's talk about some of those big moves in the NFL. Russell Wilson, out here in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of Seahawks fans kind of overlap with the, the you know the Duck fans. Russell Wilson is going to be heading to Denver, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be staying in Green Bay. Maybe I could just get some of your thoughts there because those are some pretty big moves. Yeah, so with with Wilson, I think it's the first thing that that came to mind for me is like, wow, the AFC West. I'm going to tune into every single game for every every one of those division games uh, that happens this season because the quarterbacks in the AFC West are. I mean, it's the best, I think, quartet in the NFL when we're talking Mahomes, Herbert, shout out Oregon, uh, and then we're talking uh, Carr and now Wilson. So those are going to be some really awesome matchups. I think the NFL is going to benefit from that, obviously. Um, But he's been wanting out of Seattle for a while. I think it's really interesting, though, that like, where do they go? I know they got Drew Locke in the deal, but I don't think he's going to be the guy. So Pete Carroll's, what, 70? So it seems like that's a little late to be starting a rebuild. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I was excited just as a 49ers fan. We're both oh, yeah. 49ers fans, obviously. So that makes the, the NFC West a whole lot easier. Um, I, I want Jimmy out. I really do. I've been pretty <laughs> vocal about that. So that's a pretty big quarterback domino that, that falls here in uh, the NFL offseason. Just got done with the combine. We have some great coverage of that over on Ducks Digest. Got to see where KT heads. After this trade, I saw some some mock draft that had him going ninth to the Seahawks, which would be pretty interesting. Maybe this move is is suggestive of them wanting to go back to their defensive identity, which is kind of what they were about when when things were really popping. 
And then for Rodgers going to Green Bay, I was surprised, but not surprised just because it really did look like he was super unhappy in Green Bay. And it was fun to throw around the hypotheticals of Denver or Pittsburgh, maybe. And then they franchise tagged Devontae Adams. So I know that Dylan Rubin King and Ali Osborne, some of our resident Packers fans at Ducks Digest, are, are pretty happy that he's going to be staying around. Yeah, to me, it's like, come on. Like, if this was going to be the outcome the entire time, Aaron, like, why did we go on this entire, like, saga of will he, won't he? Like, I mean, yeah, he was going to stay. And, I mean, he gets what he wants. He's the highest paid player in the NFL. Uh, I believe, yeah, it's, I believe he's getting five million per year more than Mahomes, so that'll make him the highest paid player ever. So, I mean, yeah, he gets what he wants. The Packers get what they want. It'll be interesting to de- see how they deal with their cap situation because I think they've got four guys that are dominating most of that salary cap. So we'll see how that works because they're going to want to bring back as many people as possible to try to run it back. Um, he's he's locked in there for what another four years, I believe it is. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see what happens with Jordan Love. Right. Like, where does he go? Because he's not going to play on the Packers anymore. Like that experiment is a failed experiment. I don't think he showed much promise against the Chiefs in that one game that he played last season when Rodgers was out with COVID. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a a really interesting wrinkle of it. Just just wondering where he's going to go and what the trade market's going to look like for him, because he's obviously not sticking around. They're not going to keep him as a backup going into that, you know, last year of his rookie deal. After drafting him. That caused a lot of surprises, I think. Or a lot of people were surprised, rather, that the Packers chose him in the NFL draft a couple of years ago. And and we got Dylan in the comments section here saying, go, Pack, go. So we don't want to have too much of an NFL focus here. Just thought that was kind of a cool note to throw in and hit on since it's a big day for, for the NFL. But let's get into what everyone came for, talking about the Ducks. If you guys are joining us here live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, thanks so much for stopping by. We're already getting some comments in the live section, uh, the live chat rather. So if you have any questions or what's on your mind, just let us know. We want to engage with you guys, get you more involved with the show. So definitely let us know. And then if you're watching on replay, let us know how you're feeling about the Oregon linebacker core and the edge defenders as we approach spring football. So as we get into this episode of the podcast, just kind of laying the foundation. I think that the linebackers and the edge defenders are a really, really talented bunch. We can say that about pretty much every position group for Oregon, but the question is now coming, becoming rather, are we going to see that production? Because you can talk about talent, 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 but doesn't really mean a whole lot if there's not a lot of production. And I'm not saying that's the case, but that's a, something to consider here as we start this conversation. I think back to what Brian McClendon was saying last year. I know he's not here anymore, but we were talking about the wide receivers, the incoming guys, and people were saying, you know, talent, talent, talent. How do you manage that? And he was saying, I'd rather have a really productive room than a really talented room. And I would hope that that mentality would kind of still stay around with the new coaches that we have. So just overall, what are some uh, some preliminary thoughts about this uh, this position group? I think this is the position group I'm most excited for, to be honest with you. I've been I've been a huge, you know, flow guy since I first saw his tape in high school, just in terms of his potential and what I thought he could be. So I, I was super excited when when he landed at Oregon and, you know, was really looking forward to last season, seeing what he could do uh, to lead that lead that linebacker crew along with Sewell. So uh, those two names off the top make me just more excited about this position group than anybody else. And then you combine that with what I think Landing is going to do in, in this system. Um, I think this entire core with the depth that they have is is going to be scary 
for for the Pac-12 and anybody else who they who they play. So I, I think Lanning's probably looking at this group of guys like, wow, look at all these shiny new toys I have to play with because these guys are all super highly touted recruits. I went back and checked out a lot of their you know uh, recruiting profiles, and they were all top guys in their states. You know, in the top top echelon of guys. And so the 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 weird thing is though is that. I was going through the list and I'm like, oh my God, there's such little tape from last season on the overall group of guys with all the injuries that they had. So going back to my excitement about this group and being most excited about them out of any position group I am, but I'm also probably most nervous in terms of the history of what's going on with this group and their you know, ability to play, literally be out there to play as a unit. But that all being said, I, I am excited to see these guys flying around. It's going to be really fun to watch these guys. They're incredibly athletic. And again, the depth is going to be the best thing, I think, for this team. If everybody can stay healthy and you can just plug and play all these monsters that we're going to be talking about here on the rest of the video, uh, it's this position group can be special. Totally agree. We're already getting a, a comment here from Andrew that I think would uh, be a good starting point for this conversation. Talking about he, Andrew saying here, it was just brutal never getting to see Noah, Justin, and KT wrecking teams together, given uh, that Flo has had some some injuries since he got to Oregon, and we really haven't gotten to see him play as much as we would like to, right? Seeing how him and Noah played together in that Fresno State game just had to get Duck fans really excited, and, and I think just made it that much more devastating that Flo wasn't able to play with KT uh, in Columbus when they played Ohio State. I remember sitting in the press box and, and seeing both of those guys come out on the field. Flo had a, a pretty heavy boot on at the time, but um, hopefully he'll be healthy and good to go here. I think that those guys were a glimpse at what the Oregon linebacker core can really look like if they continue recruiting how they did in years past. Ken Wilson goes to Nevada. He was a tremendous recruiter, maybe a guy that didn't get enough credit for his recruiting prowess, but since we've seen such a good sample of, of how dominant Oregon linebackers can be, you think about Troy Dye as, an, as another guy. I think that Oregon is, is slowly but surely becoming a more and more attractive destination for high-profile linebackers, and seeing hopefully a full season of Justin Flo and Noah Sewell playing together is only going to help them bring in more elite guys. I literally hear that from recruits when I talk to them, at least before last season, just saying, hey, they got some of the best linebackers up there. They got Noah Sewell. They got... They got Justin Flo. Hopefully they'll be able to uh, just keep attracting that top tier talent. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're evaluating a linebacker and we talked about this a little, when we were going through our notes before the show, it's like, what, what are some of the things you're looking for? Me personally, it's guys that are running all over the field. Like, a, like, like they have like their head cut off. You know what I'm saying? They're just literally everywhere. They're speeding around everywhere. They're involved in every scrum. Like when there's a, when there's a pileup, one of the guys in the pile is you're hoping it's one of your linebackers, right? They're the guys who, when they get in there on the edge, they're wreaking havoc on the quarterback. They're throwing them, their bodies around. And that I think, especially with Sewell and flow, like they satisfy all of those things. They're exactly what you want to just see in terms of the eye test, uh, not going too deep into like, you know, the specifics here, but just on the eye test of what you're looking for in a linebacker, they, they hit that with spades. And so the glimpse that we saw against Fresno state last year, I mean, Flo dominated that game. Absolutely dominated. I think he had like 14 total tackles. He had a forced fumble. Uh, even had a even had a uh, you know a roughing penalty for getting a little too eager there at the end of the game. But regardless, I was rewatching that film today in preparation for this, and the guys just 
Like he literally flies all over the place. Um, I, uh, I did see him and uh, actually I saw a bunch of the linebackers at one of the basketball games and uh, he was not, I can confirm he was not in bubble wrap confirmed, not in bubble wrap. But um, you know, I think that, I think that he's, you know, obviously healed up. He's had an entire year to do it. Um, so again, it's going to, the defense and the linebacker core specifically is going to be highlighted by those guys. But when you're looking for like an ideal elite linebacker, like you've got them, you've got two right there. And then you've got all that depth as well. So uh, I'm just really excited to see Lanny get his scientist, you know, his football scientist brain in there and uh, see where he's throwing these guys around. I also am curious and Max would love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think is going to, do you think that there's going to be more of an emphasis on the edge for a rush from these linebackers like Flo and like Sewell, um, Keith Brown potentially as well, guys like that to replace KT's production, both on the, on the pass rush and the, uh, the, uh, the rushing side of the ball. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question. Then we have some more here in the comments that I want to get to. Uh, but as far as that goes, I think for, for Flo and, and Noah, those are two guys that definitely excel at rushing the passer just because they're so, so physical. But I'm not sure how much we'll see that just because they are man in the middle of the defense a lot. Uh, so I, I feel like since they're not true edge players, maybe we won't see that as much. One idea that I kind of had in my mind throughout the offseason because they are looking to replace KT is do they maybe have Noah put his hand in the dirt and just be a straight-up edge rusher? Because he is a really talented linebacker, but I feel like that's one of the reasons I'm so confident in landing with this defense is I think he's going to hopefully put some of these guys in better situations than we maybe saw with Tim DeRuiter last year to, to really take full advantage of all those skill sets. So having Noah rush the passer more, having Flo rush the passer more, and, and not dropping back in coverage like we saw KT doing so much. But it's worth mentioning they did play different positions, so that probably factored into that a little bit to, to answer that question. So I don't think those two guys are going to be super super crucial as far as filling that edge edge rusher capacity, Stephen, but I think they're definitely going to have a big role in, in this year's defense regardless of, of you know where they end up lining up. But because Noah has the experience and he's a really veteran guy, even though he is still pretty young, I expect him to, to be the centerpiece of that defense. One of uh, one of Matthew's questions here. Um, sorry, it took me a second to get to get around to you, Matt. Uh, is this team two four five or three three five or four two five? So asking about the the alignment there. Uh, we don't know just yet because we haven't been able to uh, see anything in spring practice, and and I don't expect Landon to you know tip tip his cap with that. That'll kind of be something that we have to do a little bit more digging on. But uh, Dylan actually had a good a good answer here. So shout out to Rube. If you guys have seen him on uh, previous episodes of the podcast, uh, Dylan said uh, Lanning had mostly 335 at Georgia, and I believe LePoy worked with that same base at Bama too, if I'm not mistaken. So that's what I would expect. Um, I, the scheme is something that I'm trying to get uh, a better handle on for sure. So, uh, you know, it may not be something that I uh, am as knowledgeable at, about as I would hope for, but um, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a big decision for Lanning to make just given all the youth that he has in the secondary. You look at Bennett Williams being the most productive and most experienced guy in Rome in the secondary. And then Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges getting, getting some pretty decent playing time last year. But I don't think that you've seen enough from them to be truly confident. And, you know, one of those guys stepping in for a number one corner, like Mikhail Wright. Yeah, agreed. And, and I, you know, shout out Rube again uh, for for that note there. So I think a three three five just based on history is is you know something that could be a safe bet. But 
man, I'm going to touch, I'm going to touch on this literally the entire time, guys, the depth with the depth of this position group, I wouldn't be surprised if we just see a classic three, four, a lot of the time where you just give these guys the freedom to roam. Uh, you can have, if you have a three, four like that, one of them can just be unleashed as a rusher anytime and you can still drop back three in coverage and know that you've got an additional four uh, in the back. So I, I would not be shocked if we see, if we see, you know, a, a lot of that three, four just being featured simply because you can plug and play so many guys, you've got so much talent out there. If you've got some guys that can prove in the spring here uh, that they can, that they can cover a back coming out of the backfield or a tight end, even a slot potentially across the middle and zone, then that's something that I think we could see a lot of. That's one of the areas of growth that I'm really hoping to see from, from these linebackers, Steven, as we head into the 2022 season is how well can they cover? Because one of the guys that, that I really wanted to talk about today, I'm sure we'll talk about him some more, but Jeff Bossa, you know, he, he was, he was a former defensive back that made that move to linebacker last year. And that's not a surprise that he was probably the best coverage backer that they have. But since they don't have, a proven number two safety right now. I think Steve Stevens would probably be in that conversation without a doubt. Um, let's see who else, who else is going to be in the mix here for, for safety. You have Brian Addison, another guy, and then you have Kamari Terrell, who's not going to be here in the spring from what I've heard, but all that to say, I think Bossa is definitely going to be a big, a big contributor this year at linebacker because he played so well. Maybe it just makes sense to, to keep him there full time. And he has that mobility and he certainly has the physicality to, to make a difference in the front seven, like he did last year. But with, let's see, who else can we talk about here? Uh, I, I know that we have a lot of guys to get into, but we already started talking about Noah, you know what you have with him. That's gotta be the guy that they're probably most excited to work with for this new coaching staff, but definitely want to see him getting involved more in, in the blitz. And he's also a great run stopper for sure. But with, with Justin Flo, just the explosiveness that he has. I've probably watched his highlight tape more than any any Oregon Oregon player. <laughs> just 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 getting excited for what he has. Seeing him suplex guys, and he's he's a freak, he, man. I saw I saw a video of him literally breaking his helmet on a hit. Break? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I saw that one too. I've never seen that before. Not in the NFL. Not at the college level. Just a helmet being smashed. That's like basically been given a crash dummy test before it gets ever handed to a player. So, yeah, he's – dude, he's a freak. And so the potential that was squandered last year with the injuries for him to be out there with the rest of this crew, um, he's definitely him, – him and Sewell, I'm just so pumped to see them running around, flying around there. Because also another thing with them, and this is, this is something where obviously it's worked on, but it's one of those natural things that, you know, coaching only at the highest level really brings it out further. And that's just the instinct and vision that these guys have. Um, I was going back and looking at some of Noah's tape today. And specifically, I think he's got the best eyes uh, on the defense, just in terms of being able to read a play and where it's going and being able to insert himself into the right place that he needs to be, even if he's not the guy making the play. Um, so that's something where those two guys, again, specifically, um, you can tell just that they've got that sort of intangible thing uh, that's really hard to coach and bring out of somebody if they don't already have it, which is that just knack for the ball. Um, somebody who I'd love to get, you know, your thoughts on is DJ Johnson, Max. I mean, it's not confirmed whether or not he's going to be playing both sides or defense or offenses here. I don't think, but I'm pretty positive. He's going to be on defense just based on some things like his Jersey number switch. Right. So, um, that leads me to believe he'll probably be on defense plus landing, trying to utilize that athleticism and is a defensive first guy, but that's somebody who I'm really excited to see just because he impressed me so much when he had to sub in there at tight end, like, 
he got Oregon out of several different really hairy positions on third and short generally where they would roll him out on a screen. And uh, I mean, shoot against USC two years ago, uh, two or three years ago, dominated them. Um, so that's the kind of guy where if you have him just focusing on one thing, I think he can really, really excel. So if he does end up just playing mostly defense, that's somebody off the edge who I think can make a huge impact this year. DJ Johnson is the the edge player that I'm most excited about Great, without yeah. a doubt on this team because he is such a contributor overall. He's a, he's a phenomenal athlete. If you go back and look at his 247 profile, it literally says that he had 100 offers coming out of high school. And I think he's someone that's just scratching the surface of their potential at Oregon. He was a pretty dominant tight end, really the X factor for the Ducks during the COVID-shortened 2020 season. But once KT got hurt, we saw him get moved over to the defensive line back to what he played more of at the beginning of his college career when he was at Miami. And he's someone that I feel more confident in this defensive staff to get the most out of because of, of Lanning's past experience working with guys at Georgia. And one point that I want to clarify with that, Stephen, is I, I'm not in the crowd that expects Oregon's defense to be as dominant as Georgia's. That's just not reasonable to expect with, with Lanning coming over in his first year, all the youth we have at a variety of positions. We don't even know what, what the scheme's going to be just yet, but Lanning put it on tape. Lanning showed us that he knows how to get the most out of these players, and I think he's a lot more proven than, than some of the previous defensive coordinators that, that we've seen at Oregon in years past. And with DJ Johnson – He's just a phenomenal athlete. He's a guy who has, you know, he's really quick off the ball. That's something that you need out of out of a, an edge rusher. He's the guy that I think is most capable right now to to replace KT, which is not going to be easy. I don't even know if you should say replace KT, but help them adapt and move on from KT. I think that's going to be huge. And then Braden Swinson is another guy that we want to talk about. But <clears throat> just given how uh, another thing that that might be indicative of where he's going to line up next year is that uh, I think Dante Thornton switched his number to two, and and so did DJ Johnson, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you saw those those uh, social media posts, but that would probably suggest that they're not going to be playing on the same side of the ball. And That's I think like, that, yeah, yeah. and I and I think that Johnson focusing on just defense is going to make it even better for for him as far as his potential. And credit to him last year playing both sides of the ball, but I don't think it's a stretch that if you focus on one side of the ball, you're going to get a whole lot be- better a lot faster. Yeah, and I think you hit on a couple really good things there. First, with with Lanning's defense and expectations, you're right. He put it on on tape in terms of what it could potentially be and what it takes to be a national championship worthy and winning defense. Um, that being so, I don't expect that out of year one or year two for that matter, right? But what I do expect, Max, are glimpses. I do expect that with this group that he, that you know is here in Eugene that. If all goes to plan, everybody buys in, injuries aren't at a minimum. I think I do expect to see glimpses of that, to see specifically maybe some games against, um, you know, lower Pac-12 competition, uh, such as let's, you know, let's bring up Cal, for example, last year. I think with this defense, instead of a close, you know, one point win against Cal kind of thing, we could see like a 56-3 pounding that kind of stuff uh, with the defense. And with that, um, that's where I think you see sort of glimpses of like what a shutout defense really is, where they don't look past an opponent, where one, one where if they're ever in a game where the offense is sputtering, the defense bails them out. Those are the kind of things that I'm going to look, look for, because I think those are the kind of things that have been missing or some of the things that have been missing 
in in big games for Oregon the past few years. Uh, another thing you mentioned with Johnson, just that, that, that athletic ability. I love if he's if he is going to be on defense for the year. I love that on the edge. He's that he's got that like twitchy ball skill sort of uh, you know skill set. What I mean by that is that's what you need as a receiver or a tight end. Any pass catcher needs that to be able to quickly adjust and have those twitchy kind of hands and be able to get that. And that is incredibly important when you're fending off blocks off the edge, as well as getting your hands up to get your hand in the passing lanes. So all of those little things that edge rushers have to think about and have to do uh, that go far beyond sacking the quarterback. I think he's got the athletic uh, you know, blueprint already to be able to do all of them. So yeah, I think off the edge with, with, the tutelage from the coaching staff and just that focus, that laser focus on what he's going to be doing. It, it could be real scary. If Oregon can get the most potential out of the players currently on the roster, man, having a, a dominant defense is, is going to be something that I think could take this team to a whole new level. We have to see what happens with the offense. There's a lot of unknowns there. Obviously I'm trying to take more of an optimistic approach to it because the Offense has been so watered down in years past, but I liked your point about putting away teams that Oregon shouldn't be playing down to, like we saw last year. If you have a dominant defense, not only can they stop the other team from scoring, but hopefully they can generate some offense themselves. We saw, like with with pick sixes and and you know fumbles, fumble recoveries. We saw that last year when Oregon was forcing turnovers every game. It felt like through that earlier stretch, and then they kind of started to slow down, especially after Bennett Williams got hurt. He was just an absolute force. So I like your point there about the dominant defense and how that can really hopefully help Oregon get to what they really want to be at the end of the day. One of the the other questions that we have here in the chat from, from Andrew, uh, I know it's pointless to speculate for now, but would both the Overton brothers be eligible for 2022 if they sign? So that is uh, Micaiah Overton, I believe is his first name. He's a defensive lineman. And then Levis Overton, LT Overton who reclassified to the 2022 class from 2023. Uh, Both of those guys are reportedly expected to visit Oregon this weekend for what's shaping up to be a very, very big weekend on the recruiting trail for the Ducks as far as bringing in high-profile visitors. But to answer this question, Andrew, I do believe that they would both be eligible with Micaiah coming over from Liberty. That's his first transfer that I'm aware of. And then uh, Leb is coming from coming from just the high school ranks. So even though he's reclassifying, I do believe that they would be eligible for 2022, even if uh, their arrivals would be maybe just in the, in the summer, I think. So just a little tidbit there that I wanted to hit on. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've heard about those guys at all, Steven, I know you're, you're not quite as plugged in with recruiting. So what, just if you, if you had anything you wanted to add, yeah. or we can move on. Yeah, no, I've heard about him. I, I actually heard about it because I haven't, I mean, how many situations are there where it's essentially a package deal in recruiting uh, with family members? I haven't really heard of that happening before. Um, So I think that is an interesting little wrinkle to it because whoever lands one is going to get the other. So that just makes it even more important for the Ducks and, you know, for every other school that's trying to pursue them uh, to impress them uh, when they make their visits and do whatever they can to sign them. But um, they would be a a great get, the both of them. Um, You know, you've got a really highly uh, touted high school recruit but it's also you've got somebody with experience at Liberty. And so you don't have two kids that are pups. You've got one kid who you can plug in right away. And then another kid who's got skyrocketing potential and, you know, you're going to get a couple good years out of. So there's certainly, there's certainly somebody who landing, I think has probably got a, a pretty good, pretty close eye on in terms of, you know, that process that they're going through. 
just to correct myself, it's uh, Lebius Overton, and then Mikhail, I think I'm saying that right, is his brother at Liberty. So th- the crazy thing to think about, just a little side note, I'm looking on, on Instagram here. It looks like the, the brother tandem will reportedly visit Oklahoma uh, on April 23rd. So that's when Oregon's going to be playing their spring game. But just to kind of give my final thoughts on on these two guys, if Oregon were to get these two guys, just think about how that over, uh, uh, that defensive line room would look. That defensive line group would just be overflowing with guys, especially when you look at all the all the talent that they have on the interior spots, all the production and proven experience that they have. The guys like Popo, Sam Taimani, Jordan Radley coming in, Brandon Dorless. Dan Lane has absolutely attacked the interior of the defensive line. We know that he's prioritizing winning the line of scrimmage, which is something that you want to see, especially from a defensive-minded guy. But just to kind of transition into another point, since we're talking about the linebacker group as a whole and the edge guys, another reason, Stephen, that I think we should be really confident about this group and why expectations, frankly, should be high is because of how much talent they have in the interior. Because when those guys play well, we know how much it frees up. I mean, you you know yourself because you're a defensive lineman. You know, we know that when those guys are playing at their best, it makes it so much easier for these uh, linebackers to come flying in, for these edge rushers to come in because the, the offensive linemen are, are double teaming these guys. And I think it could really could really be something special. Yeah, man. I mean, to quote the great Shrek, uh, ogres are like onions. And that's how I think of defenses. There's layers. All right. And that's how you have to think of a successful defense. See, it all starts with the trenches. Okay. Are you plugging those holes and making it so that it opens up the guys behind you to make plays? If those guys on the front line get bowled over by a superior offensive line, are the guys behind them in the linebacker core going to be able to plug those holes? Are they going to be able to plug those holes enough so that the defensive uh, backs can maintain their coverages, whether or not they're in zone or in uh, man? So it it all depends. It's, it's literally layered on each other depending on how these position groups do. And so the emphasis that Lanning had put at Georgia in terms of having an, a cohesive entire uh, or you know talented group in its entirety on the defense uh, is extremely important. And like you said, the – the potential here for the future in terms of the talent at every position group on the defense uh, with the recruits that are, you know, possibly going to come in, it's wild. So, you know, that I like that landing is thinking about it like that. He's, he's, you, you always look to plug any potential holes and then where you have those holes plugged, you look to try to build depth. And he's obviously doing that on a, you know, trenches by linebacker by defensive back approach. The, the Shrek analogy was, was pretty interesting, Stephen. I, I can't say I've heard that before, but I like how you broke that down a little bit and just gave us a little bit more insight there. And I think when, when these guys are, are playing at their best level, it, it not only will allow them to play better, but they'll be able to pre- play more freely, I think, because you know that the guys in front of you are going to be taking care of business and, and, and stuff in the run. We had a, another question here. Matt's asking Ajax and Navarrete status. Uh, not sure if you're referring to like their health or, or anything else in particular, but we can talk about these two guys for sure because they're someone uh, that play in this edge linebacker position that we're we're focusing on here. Adrian Jackson, he he's someone that has really been working hard, not only to to stay healthy but also just to to be more of a steady contributor. During his time here at Oregon in the past couple of seasons, he's primarily been a, a third down option. I think back to the 2020 game against UCLA, that's always the most vivid example of him playing some really good football in my mind. 
because he had some super, super crucial pass rushes at the end of that game that ultimately helped Oregon win and, and stand tall. So he's a guy that hopefully they'll be able to get him to, to put it all together. And he's a veteran, so hopefully they can have him just be more of a steady contributor. And then as for Jaden Navarrete, he's somebody that I think a lot of Oregon fans might have forgotten about just because we haven't seen too much of him. He was someone that I covered pretty extensively on the recruiting trail before he got to Oregon at one point was committed to LSU. So, you know, he's a really highly touted guy, kind of a jumbo athlete. And I think he probably fits more of the edge role right now, just because he is pretty big, but is super athletic as well. So he's an intriguing option to think about for sure as far as what this group could maybe look like in the next season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's see here. Uh, a couple more guys we wanted to talk about. Um, also got a little recruiting news to to uh, hop into that just broke in a, in a second. So we'll get to that shortly. But uh, how about we talk about Mace Funa and Braden Swinson? Because those are some more some more of those guys that are bolstering that depth. Funa was a starter. Braden Swinson got more time, it felt like, as the year went on. Uh, what, what were you feeling about those guys, Steven? Yeah, I'm super excited about them both. Um, I'm with Swinson specifically. He's another guy where I'm I'm curious whether or not he's going to spend more time on the edge uh, or as a pure linebacker. He did both last year, played really well against Ohio State, in my opinion. Um, he's another one of those guys who's super gangly, right? He's like 6'4", 234. So he's really long and athletic, and that typically behooves an edge rusher because they're able to get use their speed uh, to get around the outside, be able to hand fight pretty well because of how long their arms are, and then, again, they can get their hands into the passing lane. Based off of just his physical attributes, I think that's probably where he's going to be utilized next year. Um, going to keep harping on it. Another guy who dealt with injuries last season, so we're still trying to figure out you know, where he's going to fit in, uh, what kind of production he's capable of uh, bringing in if he does have an entire season under his belt to play. So I'm excited to see what he does in the spring. Um, you know, as somebody who really appreciates pass rushing specifically in the art of that, uh, he's somebody who I'm going to be watching in particular in spring. And I'm really excited to see about um, what he does. But uh, my prediction where he's going to go linebacker versus edge, I think probably edge. I can see Swinson staying there just because it seems like that's where he's the most comfortable. He was very heavily uh, touted when we were in fall camp last year. He showed part of what he's capable of, you know, those glimpses that we've kind of been talking about with a, a number of these guys, Steven, he got a sack against Ohio state, which was just a, a brutal game from a pass rushing standpoint for the ducks 
got to think about how it was early on in the season and they were still kind of trying to figure out their identity. KT wasn't there to command a lot of attention since he was hurt. But as far as Mace Funa goes, I think he's one of the guys that is, again, finding himself maybe with something to prove this year. If you look at his stats from last year, 17 solo tackles, 28 total tackles, one tackle for loss and, and no sacks. He was super, super hyped up coming out of high school at modern day. And I still feel like he's working to reach that potential and, and live up to the building that he had as a recruit. But he's proven that he can be a really, really key guy in this defense. I think that's probably part of the reason that I feel so good about this group is that they have a variety of guys that have veteran experience, but also some of these young guys that if they do become a dominant defense, like we were talking about not too long ago, if they can blow teams out and really take care of business, hopefully they can get some of these younger talent, these younger talented guys in and really give us a glimpse of, of what they're capable of. Because at the end of the day, we can talk about how excited we are to see these guys, but if they're not getting on the field, they're not getting the reps that they need. And I think that that's something that we could talk about with the, the quarterbacks or apply to the quarterbacks. I've That's been one of my main points from, from last season is that because that was one of the biggest downfalls of, or fallouts, I guess, from Oregon playing down to their opponents is that they couldn't get these young guys valuable reps that they so desperately needed. And now they find themselves in, in a situation where you're preparing for Georgia uh, particularly at quarterback where, you know, whoever gets snaps in that game is going to be a first time starter for Oregon, but we don't have to yeah. talk about the quarterbacks too much. I just wanted to kind of mention that as a little tidbit since we were talking about Funa and uh, how, you know, we, how we feel about him. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of add on that, I think, and granted, this is my opinion, right? I'm not a defensive coordinator for a reason. Right. But um, the way that I try to look at, or if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd want my defense to, to be, is success package heavy. And what I mean by that is not just having a bunch of packages for the sake of having a bunch of packages. But if you've got a really, or a lot of depth on your defense, a ton of really talented guys that you know can all perform, then you're able to have all those guys ready to go at different packages on almost a per formation basis to be able to plug and play. And that's the dream is to be able to say, okay, I know that I can rely on every single one of my bench guys and every single package that we throw out there. It's not going to be something where, okay, no matter what we do, we've always got to keep, let's say Sewell in here because we're weak at inside linebacker. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just using that as a hypothetical example. That's some, that's the thing where if you can avoid that almost across the board, then you've got success package, success package heavy um, uh, defense. And so that is something where I think Oregon's got the potential for that. And with all of this depth, I think it's going to, to go into that. So to, to clarify what we're saying, sorry, I was looking at the chat a little bit. Are you saying that you want to have guys that don't have to come off the field because you're confident in having them in a variety of situations? Is that what you mean? That's part of it. But the other part of it is that you want to be able to have, you are confident in those guys leaving the field because you've got other oh. people that can supplement on those packages. So what I'm saying is if if we if we if you go through spring let's say and we've got okay, overall we're going to be having X4 linebackers start, but two of our backup linebackers are really really good in pass coverage. You know that you're able to supplement them in on a pass coverage uh package and not have any drop off, but then also know that you can get them in there and you're not going to be having to exploit weaknesses of the guys who are your starting backers. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a good point because you, you want to have that too deep. That was a talking point throughout spring ball, fall camp last year. The whole season is that they were working towards that uh, dependable too deep. And I don't think it ever really quite got filled out because Oregon wasn't in that position last year, like you were mentioning, Stephen, where you're 
super, super confident in that next level. And you look at linebacker when they were dealing with injuries to, to Keith Brown. Uh, we, we saw Nate Hukalani coming in. Micah Roth got some uh, some pretty significant playing time as well. But that I like that. I like that point a lot because if, if Oregon can strive for that, then then they'll really be able to to steady out their their linebacker core. I want to take a quick break from the the edge players to talk about some some uh, recruiting news that that just broke. Um, well, within the past hour, I'm just seeing it now, and then we'll get back to the the football players. Oregon will be hosting five-star 2023 defensive end Mateo Uyunglele. A lot of people know him because of his brother's last name, who's over at Clemson. But, man, Stephen, this is some huge news. This is really gearing up to be a massive weekend for Oregon. Hopefully they can get, I think, in an ideal situation, you can get uh, maybe a 2023 commitment out of this weekend with all the high-profile guys visiting. I'm, I don't think that'll be the case with, with Mateo, per se, just because it is still pretty early on in his in his recruiting process even though he's seen a lot of really high power schools. He was just at USC last weekend, if I'm remembering that correctly, but Mateo was on campus in January. So you got to figure getting him back on campus this soon is, is really, really big. And I think that one of the things that stood out to me about January, particularly that last weekend is that Landon and, and company had a combination of 2022 and 2023 guys on campus. And now that, the 2022 class is, is pretty much wrapped up with the exception of maybe the Overton brothers as as far as guys that Oregon's still looking at. Mateo is probably, I'd say, like a top three target for the Ducks in this class. 100% he's a top three target in that class, yeah. Five-star defensive ends. Um, I mean, who, the last one to come into Oregon did pretty dang well. So, um, yeah, I think he'd be a huge get. Uh, he's got a you know big following simply because of you know the name and his brother as well. Um, but you hit it on the head Two two visits in about a two, two and a half month period is huge because it clearly means to me, at least that Oregon's top of mind for him, right? He is seeing other big schools, but if he's coming back, I mean, Eugene's not a huge town. What's he doing? He's probably talking about what his potential role would be in this Oregon system, probably getting down to brass tax of it and that kind of thing. So I feel like, uh, it, it's certainly a good sign and he should definitely be at, at, at the top slash near the top of uh, the target list going into 2023. The only other people that I would put in that conversation as far as top targets for the Ducks in 2023 would be five-star quarterback Nico Yamaleava from Warren High School in Downey. He was in Oregon last month, or sorry, not last month, in January for a visit. And then most recently last week, he was actually in Knoxville checking out the Vols uh, over at Tennessee with Josh Heupel. And let's see what else. I would also put Jaden Wayne in, in that conversation uh, for, for top guys, especially when you're looking at landing. I think he's probably better positioned with the defensive guys. That wouldn't be a stretch, but that's not to say that the Oregon won't be able to attract top tier talent on offense. Andrew catching me here talking about Connerly as, as far as 2022 guys that Oregon is, is still in the run for running for. He's reportedly uh, going to be visiting campus as well this weekend. So that's absolutely huge. He's one of those top, top tier guys that, that has the ability to, to push his recruitment past the traditional deadlines that we've seen in the past. So I wanted to, to hop on and, and just make sure we, we included this news in the podcast because it's, it's certainly notable. We're getting a bigger recruiting focus over on Ducks Digest. So I've been throwing up some interviews with, with prospects. Most recently just talked to uh, Johnny Thompson, a 2023 running back out of Oaks Christian in Westlake, Westlake Village, California which is where the Ducks found KT. So kind of cool yeah. to, to see that connection. He was a former USC commit 
and was on campus in January. He's going to be visiting. Uh, he's going to be visiting Utah in April, and he told me he uh, can definitely see himself coming back to Oregon in, in the near future. But anything else you wanted to talk about with Mateo or anything recruiting wise? No, just I mean, you're you you hit it on the head like you always do with recruiting, man. I mean, I think those are all guys that that are would potentially be huge gates for the, for the ducks. So um, names that I'm certainly going to keep my, keeping my eye on. All right. All right. Well, just to, to hop back in here, we'll probably go like another 10 or 15 minutes. It's kind of my, my thinking right now. Um, I'm supposed to, to do an interview with somebody uh, around six tonight. So I just want to prep for that, but there's a lot of people in this group that we still haven't talked about. Steven, I'm just going to throw some names out there and we can kind of see who, who peaks our interest and that we want to talk about. Uh, as far as linebackers and edge players, Keith Brown's definitely somebody that we want to have an eye on. He got a pretty decent chunk of playing time last year, just with the linebacker core getting ravaged by injuries. You talk about Drew Mathis also being hurt. Um, Jackson LaDuke, a highly touted recruit that was, was battling injuries and came on to the scene last year towards the end of the season. And then Trevor Mai uh, for that edge rusher spot. He's someone who's completely changed his body since he got to the college level and, and definitely looks like one of the more, promising or intriguing options for the Ducks since he got a pretty decent amount of playing time last year. Yeah, those are all guys where you saw enough glimpses, I think, last season, uh, you know, where they were all dealing with different injuries that they all can come in and contribute. And so, again, for the 50 millionth time, it goes back to the depth in this team and the depth in this particular core for rushers and, and linebackers. And so, yeah, all three of those guys are people that I, I think showed some real potential. I didn't get too much film, though. I mean, um, so, I mean, who was it? Uh, I think, yeah, Keith. Was it Keith Brown? Yeah, he got shut down last year, I believe. So he didn't, you know, it was a point where he was clearly playing through some stuff. Uh, and I think that that probably had to do with some of the production that that he that he came in and, and gave. I think it could be a lot higher, but you got to be healthy. So uh, he's somebody specifically who I think we saw, if we saw glimpses of what he was doing when he was hurt, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting to see the potential of what he could do when he's totally healthy. Yeah, Brown representing the state of Oregon, right? Yes, he was someone who was, was pretty promising coming out of high school. Um, you hope you hope he can just stay healthy and, and not have to worry about the the injury bug. And and Leduc is someone I'm pretty excited about just because he's been in the program for longer than than Brown has, and I was kind of surprised to see him get playing time. I believe it was against Oregon State and Utah down the line, just because it was a little. I don't know. Based on how the season was going, I didn't think that they necessarily needed to try to get him out there, but I'm happy that they did because he was able to get some experience before the season ended, which is super, super important. But uh, let's see who I'm trying to think of who else I wanted to talk about or anything else I wanted to add on, on those guys. Um, Yeah. You you talk about the depth Trevin, my, I don't know if he's going to be a starter just because of the additions and the roster that they have right now, but he's someone that I think, you can have that confidence in if you need, if someone does go down just because he's played. So don't want to repeat myself too many times with, with that, uh, the reps thing and, and, and getting some good experience with these guys last year. But yeah, um, and Max, I'm curious. So, so let's go back to scheme real quick here. Let's say they do, let's say that a three, four classic scheme is, is played a lot. Okay. So let's not go three, three. We can talk about another one, three, five potentially, but let's go three, four here uh, with the three defensive linemen and four linebackers. Who's your starting four? Okay, for the linebacker core? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Sewell and Flo 
lining up next to each other. Um, and then for the other two linebackers, I'd say Bossa and then maybe Leduc. Well, no, because you're so – hold on, sorry. So those four would, would include edge players too, right? And then the three would be the just straight-up traditional defensive linemen. Yeah, or you, I mean, sometimes you have one edge rusher on a 3-4 on the line. But, yeah, I mean, just for the purposes of this, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, you, you're keeping me on my toes here, Stephen. So let me let me take a sec here. So Sewell and Flo, definitely going to be mainstays. Uh, and then I think you probably got to put Mace Funa on one of the edges and then DJ Johnson on the other edge if we're if we're looking at the, the edge rushers there for my yep. starting four. That's kind of what I would go with right now. Yeah, I'd say I'd say Flo and Sewell for sure uh, in the inside with that Will and Mike. And then uh, Funa and I think Swinson are probably going to be the guys on the outside. And then I would I think uh, DJ as one of those three players on the uh, up front if we're going with a little smaller uh, line up front with the three four. Um, but yeah, I was just curious to see what you think that's going to be. And then I think the backup guys are going to be Brown and the Duke in the middle, and then uh, Jackson and Maya on the uh, on the outside. Yeah. Well, that's crazy because we just said that, and I feel like we're kind of seeing eye to eye there. But Bossa is not even listed as a starter there. Well, I think, think he's going to be a safety. I think he's going to play. Is safety. he going to move back? Yeah, I think he's going to play safety. Okay. I think yeah, that's well, just where I think there's more need there. Simply put, like when it, I mean, and that's again, this is a layman, you know, uh, looking at it from the outside, 100. But my my view is when I look at this linebacker core, I'm like, holy smokes, man! Like the talent on here is absolutely insane. Where would you plug in? a third guy who's got that much talent you want to if he's got if he's got the ability to go out there and play safety and maybe he's more of a cover backer anyways um where you've got all those other holes plugged up that's why i think he's probably going to be playing safety but i think it'll also be a hybrid role i don't think he's not going to take any reps at linebacker and if anybody were to go down he's probably the first one you'd slide in there especially if it's on the outside it does feel like there's more need at, at safety with with Ron mckinley's departure but I don't, I agree. It makes sense, but I just don't know if, if you're confident enough in the coverage ability of the linebackers to, to not have Bossa there. So maybe yeah. we, we have these four as our starters, but if, if they're passing all over the ducks, you know, hitting those short to intermediate routes over the middle, maybe you got to make a change there. If they're hitting the alleys and, and some of these linebackers aren't fast enough to get there, maybe you can bring Bossa back, but regardless, Steven of where he plays, let's say he does go to safety, right? You talked about, bringing he probably the first guy to bring down they have that flexibility because of the fact that he played last year so i think that's something that's definitely going to be valuable but i would agree that there's definitely more need for safety right now just because of the the sample size that we saw last year and the this position on the roster yeah and and coverage specifically is something that i'm most excited to see the improvement from sewell this year and I was looking up some of his his more in-depth stats and his his pass rusher rating is off the charts. His run stopping rating is off the charts. And these are ratings that NFL scouts put together based off of a ton of different metrics that go over my head. But um, those ratings were really high, but he struggled, at least ratings wise, in, in coverage, um, which was interesting to me because that's something that just watching last year, I didn't like. I didn't notice a ton of, I wasn't watching games being like, wow, Sewell's got a lot of coverage issues. Like I wasn't seeing that with, with just the eyes and the eye test. So I'm really interested to see um, now that that's in my head, you know, what that looks like. And, and he's, I mean, he's, he's a Sewell, right. Which means that all he did in the off season is work on football uh, and, and try to improve his craft. And so 
I would not be surprised at all if Sewell comes in here this year uh, and has really improved the uh, the pass coverage kind of arsenal of his game. Uh, in and that's what you, again you're looking for those things where it's like okay if if you have a weakness at pass at, at pass coverage on the linebacking core then that's where you want to be able to plug and play somebody who is going to be able to come in there on a package by package basis as opposed to a, you know an every down guy um, but it's just as good if you can have that situation with the backup and still know that your starter is completely capable so I, I'm really interested to see how Sewell specifically has improved his pass coverage. I don't want to. I don't want to harp on Sewell too much because I'm I mean, obviously he's a phenomenal player. But when I do see some situations where it's like, oh man, I I, I think that was Noah's assignment or something. For example, I think that the, the pass coverage is is the one you know the the biggest area for growth that I see. And I don't think it's it's not going to be at the point where um where he's not going to be on the field. Like yeah. he's the most talented guy on that defense. You're going to keep him on the field. But yeah. how much can the rest of that group? just improve overall maybe that's a better thing that we can do because then if the if the group's better as a whole then you're not going to be seeing those lapses as often yeah and I think with Sewell I mean obviously he's always been a super hyped player right but I think one of the reasons why we've just naturally been harping on him so much is because I mean think about it he was the only guy who wasn't hurt all last year like he 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 was there yeah right so he's the guy who we had by far and away the most tape on in terms of this group of, uh, of guys on defense. We have way more tape of him than anybody else uh, at this level. And so, I mean, there, there's just more tape to harp about. Right. Um, so I think that that's, but that's another thing where wouldn't it be, I think it'd be interesting if Sewell overall plays less downs this year, just due to not having to do as much and seeing what that, because I, I don't think his production would go down necessarily. I mean, when you think about it, you would, you would have a more uh, energized player, less depleted player, uh, if he if he doesn't have to play every single down at two different positions at linebacker and sometimes at edge. So, yeah, we've been harping on him a lot. But, I mean, shoot, the linebacker in core last year was just so injured. He was the only guy out there for the entire season. So we talked about the injuries and all the crazy depth. I didn't even think about this question, but I got to give a shout out to soccer guys for this question. Do any of our 2022 linebackers get rotated in with so much talent returning? So the 2022 linebackers, just to get everyone up to speed, we're looking at Harrison Tagger out of Corner Canyon, an absolute powerhouse in Utah. That's where the Ducks found Jackson Powers Johnson. He's pretty speedy, and I think he moves really, really well for a linebacker. And then Devin Jackson out of Burke High School in Omaha, Nebraska. He has a track background, and that guy can really move. A little bit slighter of a frame, maybe a little bit undersized for a linebacker. But like we saw with Bossa, that was a huge benefit. So I think he's someone that I'm super excited about, Devin Jackson. And I want to see how this staff with Wilson Love and the rest of those strength guys goes about kind of managing his body. I don't think I can't think of a better way to to say that because you want to get more size on the guy probably because I don't think he's that he's got that college frame, but you don't want to lose that athleticism. You don't want to lose that speed. So that's maybe going to be one of the trickier recruits to kind of manage once, once he gets to campus, but it's been reported that Taggart's going to be enrolling early for spring football. And I I don't know if, if any, if either of those guys are just such can't miss talents that they're going to be seeing the field this early with this much depth ahead of them. 
but certainly they're going to help the room. And Jackson, I believe, was an Under Armour, you know, Adidas All-American. So certainly he's coming with, with you know, some some pretty good reputation of his own. Yeah, I think it's going to be – well, I think Tagger coming in early is is going to behoove him, obviously, and give him some additional reps. Um, but with, with all the talent that's loaded in the room, I mean, I think barring injuries, it's probably going to be a much more of a learning – kind of year for those guys and being able to focus on things like getting their body, uh, getting a little more muscle on their body. And uh, yeah, it is delicate. It's a delicate line to balance when you're trying to not gain as much weight as possible when you get to college, but you, you do want to be able to put on muscle. That's not only going to help performance wise, but prevent injury. I mean, that's one of the biggest parts of training, obviously is injury prevention, not just performance. And so if you, you arguably increase injury uh, tendency, if you're trying to bulk too hard, too fast with these guys. Um, so that's one thing to think about. But the other thing you hit it on the head is that you don't want to sacrifice the athleticism. I mean, it'd be great if you can get some guy to gain like 40, 50 pounds of just pure muscle when he gets to campus. But he, if he can't grab a post-it off the, off his back, then what, you know, he's not going to be that, that flexible and be able to move. So um, it is a fine line to sort of manage with that. And I agree. I think it is going to be something for the training staff. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge to, to kind of find that right balance and medium, uh, not only for his health, but just for the production of the player. Steve, I got to give you a shout out because you've really been like one of the most consistent guys, I think with the, with all the live streams, obviously Dylan has been on a lot, which has been great. I brought Graham on yesterday, but I love this platform and it's just been super fun to, to grow it all. Yeah. And I wanted to say that because that that's awesome. But like comments like this just help me realize that sometimes there's things in a show that I completely forget about. Anthony Jones is already on campus at Oregon and he's going to be playing that edge outside linebacker position. So shout out to Mikey G for keeping me on my toes and, and just keeping his Anthony Jones's name in, in the conversation here. If you remember, Stephen, the Ducks flipped Anthony Jones from Texas yep. and during the early signing period, which I thought was a huge move. He was former high school teammates with Sir Mel's out there in Nevada, and he's probably one of the more intriguing prospects in this 2022 class just because he is kind of a jumbo athlete. I think about him and Jaden Navarrete kind of in a similar, a similar vein just with those guys being really, really athletic and playing kind of the tight end role as well as some defensive line and outside backer in high school. So Anthony Jones does have some good tape and, and he could very well be in contention with to, to get a, a, a bigger cut uh, of playing time. But it's just wild that now that we're talking about all of it, Stephen, so I'm kind of riled up and fired up. Now that we're talking about all of it, it's just crazy how deep this group is because when I was covering this team last season, it was just injury, injury, injury. Like they're not finding themselves in good situations from a, a personnel standpoint, but now heading into spring, they're just loaded. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing, I think Mikey, Mikey, you, you nailed it right there with, uh, with that's, I think that right there, the, the some good tape, that's a very way to describe, that's a very good way to describe almost everybody that we're talking about is they've got some really good tape. So all of this potential, it makes you salivate when you're watching. If you, if you just watch the highlights on these guys, you're like, dang, wow. Oregon's got, Oregon's got just guys on guys on guys, um, but all of them have some good tape. So it's going to be really interesting to see which of the guys 
where that that small amount of tape, how that translates in the spring and in the fall and where the chips ultimately lie in terms of the depth chart. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Max, when we get into it, it it's it's I love seeing that we're talking about guys that we totally forgot to mention. And then when we do mention, them, we're like, oh, my God, yeah, these guys aren't scrubs. These guys are potential stars like all of these guys are everybody. I think there are some guys on this linebacker core who have all America potential. And then I think there's a whole host of guys who truly do have all Pac-12 potential in their career. Uh, and that's special. That's that's real special. Also, another another thing that comes to mind for me when I'm talking about this group with you, Stephen, is just it's another endorsement of some like the majority of this talent, I think or maybe just that untapped potential is, is on defense. Maybe I shouldn't say untapped potential, but I feel like having this conversation about this group just drives some of the point for me that mo- there's more talent on this roster on defense right now. More proven talent might be the better way to put it. Okay, how about that? I don't want to I don't want to throw anybody under the bus by any means, but super excited about this defense. And then when you look at the coaches that are going to be on this staff and just – I feel like it's kind of going to be an offensive revamp, but I don't really know how to describe the the mood on the defense because you've seen all these glimpses. They've played at a high level, really haven't gotten that consistent pass rushing presence. Even when KT was healthy, he wasn't as consistent as I think a lot of people expected him to be. So that's probably my one of my number one things that I'm going to be looking for in spring ball is who out of this group that we talked about that is going to be on campus because we, we talked about some of the 2022 guys that aren't going to be here in the spring, but who on this roster is going to be able to take that step. And maybe it's not just one guy, maybe it's multiple guys. Nobody becomes that next KT, but we'll have multiple guys across the board that can contribute at a high level and maybe help fill some of those deficiencies that we saw last year when they were looking for somebody other than KT to get some pressure on that quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you you nailed all of that. I mean, what I'm most excited about really is the combination of this staff and what's been proven that this staff can do with, with, you know, stellar defenses and then combining that with all the, the potential here. And you're right. Untapped might not be the, the right word, but, and certainly not unutilized, but just potential that's just been just unable to be seen. Right. It's like, I think you will agree with me that last season's, injuries with the ducks was unlike anything I've ever seen with a particular football team in one season. I've never seen anything like it at all. And so, I mean, when we went, when I go through my notes, I think we'd out of the eight or nine, eight to 10 guys that we, you know, said we wanted to highlight here, I think six, at least six, there was something about an injury note, six or seven of them. And so, yeah, the, I'm just so stoked to see what one, these guys are going to look like fully healthy because they were all studs coming in Oregon and two, Combine that with, you know, Dan Lanning. And again, I view him as a defensive mad scientist. He's somebody who tries to think of, you know, like a, like a great chef. What are the ingredients I have? And let's make the best dish I possibly can out of these fantastic ingredients. And we're sourcing all these great ingredients. So um, I just, I, I love, uh, it makes, I'm more excited for this season than I've been in a long time for, for duck football. I was incredibly excited last year because I totally bought into the playoff hype and that this is the year. And, uh, you know, AB's taken us to the promised land. I totally bought into that stuff. So now with expectations a little tempered in terms of one-year success, um, I'm I'm more focused on, okay, like what's this – What's this year is going to be such a good barometer to see what the potential is going to be like for the future under Dan Lanning. And, again, we're definitely not going to see a Georgia defense year one, not even close. 
But if we can get those glimpses that we were talking about, if we can have games where Oregon is a clearly superior opponent and the defense makes sure that the scoreboard reflects that, regardless of the offense's performance, then I think there's a I think that's going to happen several times this year. It'll be a good barometer with the Georgia matchup, but also BYU. Like that's going to be a huge matchup that I'm super psyched for. This is the last thing we're going to touch on in this episode of the podcast uh, because we've already hit an hour, which is wild. It's just flown by. This has been a blast, but. Matt says, we need to hear about Jabril McNeil, inside or edge. So Jabril McNeil comes over from North Carolina. He was in that uh, 2021 class, but kind of got buried on the depth chart with uh, the way that things shook out last year. If you look at his tape, you can see how versatile he is. I think that I would say edge, but it's hard to say edge because I feel like there kind of is more depth there, but not necessarily from a pass rushing standpoint, if that makes sense. So I feel good about the depth at edge, but someone needs to step up and, and show that they can rush the passer and not just cover and, and stop the run. That's kind of how I feel about that. And that's why I think maybe since it's wide open for a, an edge rusher, maybe McNeil could be someone that steps up outside. I think that's where he's going to have his biggest opportunity is, is rushing from the edge. And again, he's one of those guys where I say that mostly because of his frame. Like I think he's 6'4", 225 is what I saw. He may have put on some weight uh, since, but uh, that that is ideal length and ranginess for for an edge rusher to be able to use because you know they've naturally got a ton of speed to be able to beat the tackles just purely on a speed rush. And then again, hand fighting is all about being able to just remove yourself from the claws of the line blocking you. And you need long spider arms to be able to do that successfully on the edge, especially if you're going to go and rip. And so I think that his best opportunity is definitely going to be on the edge. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, I He's coverage isn't his strength, that's for sure. And so at linebacker, he'd certainly be facing much more coverage situations than he would be just purely off the edge. Off the edge, you'd only have to cover a running back in certain situations, unblocked and on screens and that kind of thing. But, you know, that's one of the reasons why edge 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 is my favorite position is generally you've got one thing to worry, two things to worry about outside contain and getting the quarterback and long athletic guys are really, really good at those two things at outside contain and getting the quarterback. And so with those, with those things in mind, I think that's where McNeil's probably going to have his best opportunity. Just to, to circle back on what you mentioned, uh, six, four, two, 12 is what he's listed at, at least on the 2021, 2021 roster. Yeah. So maybe that'll, add to the intrigue of where he ultimately gets uh, utilized, but we got to get out of here uh, on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. So before we do that, Steven, where can folks find more of you? Yeah. Check me out on uh, Twitter, SB sports, five, four, one. Also just, you know, Ducks digested Max and I have gone in depth on a couple different topics. So uh, check Max's page out and uh, you can find some of my stuff there working on getting uh, my own YouTube channel set up. Uh, that will be in the works at some point. I know I sound like a broken record when I bring that up, but uh, that'll be happening at some point, but really just right now, uh, you know, mostly Twitter. Also the Ducks digest forums, guys, that is something that uh, Max and I are involved with. And, you know, with that, we really want to grow that to be something that's much more. Here it is right here. Uh, beautiful layout. Uh, it's something that we really want to grow. Uh, there are others, other programs out there that have, you know, their forums are popping there. It's like a, it's a, it's a real community. And so that's what we're trying to build with this. And a lot of that goes with like knowing what you guys want to talk about. Max and I have, a you know, we can go back and forth all day about stuff that we want to talk about, but 
we're not we're 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 not who the forum is for and so go check out ducks digest comment on some of the last stuff we've talked about uh we'll see those comments and just tell us what you guys want to hear about because those are that's what's really we enjoy most so the forums and twitter is where you can find me um but yeah those forums that'd be awesome if you guys check those out good stuff plug in the forum steven if you guys want to find more of me you can find me on Twitter at mtaurus sports. That's the easiest way to stay updated with our Oregon Ducks coverage, uh, because sometimes we can't always hop on a on a YouTube live really quickly. But it's a lot easier to send out a tweet. So follow me on Twitter at mtaurus sports. If you guys are watching here live on the channel, definitely go ahead and take a second to subscribe, hit that notification bell, so you don't miss future live streams and future videos that we're posting. Got a lot of awesome videos recently with more previews with more recruiting insight and analysis. That's really fun to, to get into. And then uh, let's see what else can I plug here. If you want to follow Ducks Digest on other platforms, we're at Ducks Digest on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And we also have a free newsletter, the Ducks Digest newsletter, which you can find in my Twitter profile. So that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Big thanks to Steven for hopping back on. Uh, been way too long since we last talked so with spring ball coming up we're going to be doing a lot more of these hopefully and make sure you guys stay tuned in to ducks digest for your latest oregon ducks news that'll do it for us guys take care appreciate it